Hello and welcome to Don Wilson's Hollywood Beat. I'm Don Wilson. On this program, we've got David Stanley, Elvis's stepbrother, in a 2001 interview, and also Anne Helm, who co-starred with Elvis in Follow That Dream, plus a clip of me and Joey Bishop. So hang tight and go for a ride. We're sitting here with Elvis's stepbrother, David Stanley. And uh, David, I appreciate you taking the time out to be on Mystery Train. Well, thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be with you. Okay. Uh, if you would, uh, tell our listeners exactly how you felt when you were thrust into the world of your brother Elvis Presley. Well, you know, you've got to understand, when, I'm, when it came into Elvis's life, I was just a child. I was only four years old when I moved into Graceland in 1960. So when I went into Elvis Presley's life, I didn't go in with any expectations of of, oh, this is a big star, or this is going to be different, or this is going to be difficult. Because to be honest with you, when I was four years old, I didn't know what an Elvis Presley was. I didn't, I didn't comprehend what superstar was, singer, movie star. So I just remembered when I first went in about Elvis that he just welcomed us into his family. We didn't have to. He had lost his mother in 58. Now his father had remarried. That was a little difficult on him because, you know, it's always hard for your father to remarry, especially when uh, you're someone like Elvis and you're so close to your mother. But he accepted the fact that Vernon had married my mother, but even more so, he accepted us when he didn't have to. He could have made it, you know, hey, Vernon, keep him somewhere else. They don't have to be around here. But he welcomed us into his family and took us in, loved us, and literally raised us for 17 years. So prior to that, were you actually spending most of your time in Germany? Is that where you were raised? Well, actually, or? what happened, my mother and, and, my, and Vernon met in Germany. And I, we were there. My mother and father were having marital problems and going through some things. And uh, so while I was in Germany in 58, when then Vernon indeed developed a relationship, my mother sent us back to the States and, and family took care of us. Um, and we didn't know exactly what was going on. Then one day, Vernon and Dee, you know, they were married July 3rd of 1960. They, one day they just came and got us. Mm-hmm. You know, we, I was in the States, I guess, oh, I don't know, about six months, six, six months to eight months. I'm, I'm not quite sure, maybe in a year. But it was, 50, it was uh, late 59, and we were away from my mother, and we didn't know what was happening. You know, you don't understand divorce when you're four. Yeah. So I, I didn't, I just, all I remember is just being there, being confused. And then one day, uh, Mom says, this is your new father. This is Vernon Presley. This is Elvis Presley's father. What's, what's an Elvis Presley? You know, you just, you really had no comprehension, you know, when you're a child. You just, but there's one thing for certain. You know, going into Elvis Presley's life was an uncontrollable set of circumstances. It's not something I chose to do, asked to do, had any say-so whatsoever. And I always try to tell people that. They say, well, you know, you know, how did you get with Elvis? How did you get in with Elvis? Did you have to do this, that, or the other with Elvis? You know, I entered through the family, through the, you know, I, I guess the front door, so to say, and I had no choice. And so I tried to adapt to it, and I'm still trying to adapt to it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, it never ends, yeah, it never ends. But it's something I wouldn't trade off for anything. I, I, I love Elvis. I loved him then. I love him now. I enjoy being around him. He taught me a lot of very important things. Uh, you know, when you're that young, impressive age in your life, when, when you need a teacher, Elvis was always there for me. And he taught me right. He taught me moral issues. He taught me conservative political issues. He taught me God, country, mom, dad, apple pie. Um, he taught me self-respect. Uh, he didn't spoil me like people would say, though he gave me a lot. He made me work for my hire. Uh, 
you know, I have a lot of Elvis in me, and I don't necessarily mean from a spiritual perspective as I do as a father figure. When you when you first moved into Grayson, uh, right by the dining room, there's like a little apartment over there. If mm -hmm. I'm, is that where you and your mother and brothers? Had that was originally a car garage that was turned into an apartment, and that's where we stayed. That's where we actually uh, we were there for almost two years until we moved out over and had a house built over on the back part of, the, of Graceland. Actually, we moved on a, a road called Hermitage while we had a house built on the back part of Graceland. And uh, being, you know, I mean, it was difficult at times being at Graceland and growing up there because I got a lot of attention being driven to school in the pink Cadillac. You got to understand, you know. I imagine so. Yeah, I mean, you know, you know, you know, and then uh, it just wasn't normal. And then, you know, when I started playing football in fourth, fifth grade, Elvis comes to the practice, right? And everybody's not watching their kids practice. They're looking at Presley. Uh, a lot of jealous kids growing up. You think you're tough because you're, you're Elvis's brother. People used to try to beat up on us. You know, there was a lot of cruelty out there, but that was tough. But um, did Elvis ever give you any advice on it? Did you mention it to him? Or oh, I used to come home and say, Elvis, what am I going to do? He said, David. He said, this, this is going to happen. He said, I didn't choose to be Elvis, and you didn't choose to be my brother. He said, but there's just going to be people like that. And uh, he just said, always uh, be nice to people. Always give people the benefit of the doubt. Uh, but don't take no guff. You know, if somebody if somebody got rough with you, uh, take up for yourself. Be proud of who you are, not only as being my stepbrother, but also as a Stanley. For my so my father was a big military warrior, World War II in Korea. And my Elvis had a lot of respect for that. He said, "Don't forget the heritage of where you came from, and always try to remember some things that, uh, if I'm fortunate enough to teach you." That's great. Now, when you were when you were young. Uh, and you had birthday parties and stuff. I, I imagine that uh, did Elvis and uh, your parents spoil you there? Yeah, Elvis. Every year, Elvis would give me something for my birthday, Christmas. Uh, as a kid, Colonel Parker the same way. Colonel Parker would always give us stuffed animals, you know, because he was with RCA and these were promotional items. And he uh, he would always give us stuffed animals. And I had more stuffed animals growing up. I wish I had them now. I really do. But um, Elvis would give me something, whatever my interest was, whether it be a BB gun or a rod and reel or. Uh, or uh, you know model cars or you know all kinds of airplane toys and I mean so he uh, but he didn't he wasn't extravagant you know he wouldn't go out and buy me you know I, I don't know he wouldn't I mean it was just a simple gesture of love and he always remembered and he always gave and um, but yeah pretty much as I got older now you know it went from a toy car to a real one a couple of times so I mean he, he Elvis loved to give Elvis was a giver that's what he was all about I mean, most givers don't live long. They give and give and give and give and give, and they're, they're professional givers, but they're not great receivers. But Elvis gave it, gave it all. He really did. Uh, so he was really good to you and Rick and, uh, and Billy. Billy, yeah, yeah. He had, he had relationships with all of us. Ricky was more laid back, was the laid back temperament. But I was rowdy, tough guy. You know, Elvis loved me because I was big, uh, karate tough. You know, so each each personality, each of us had our own personality. Billy was more of a, another laid-back type, and he had a different relationship with all of us. Loved us, I'm sure, equally, but he, uh, with me, it was because I was a tough guy, big guy. And he had known my father, Bill Stanley, you know, when all that was going on with the D and all of them. And he thought I was just like my father. He always tried to tell me, don't, for don't ever forget him, always remember him. And, what you are and what he is. Ironically, my father was a, a personal bodyguard for George S. Patton in World War II, and then here later in life, I'm a bodyguard for Elvis Presley. Now I got a son who's bigger than both my dad and myself. God knows who he'll be bodyguard for. 
So I'm sure that fascinated Elvis a lot since he admired uh, Patton very much. Oh, goodness me. He, he That's why he kept on saying your heritage. Your father, was in, David, was in World War II. He was with Patton. He crossed the Rhine River into Germany. I mean, they went into Bastogne. I mean, that's, that's, that's serious history, mm -hmm. you know. And Elvis was such a, a patriot and such an American and loved the military and loved the veterans who, who actually, you know, as Elvis was used to say, we're blood-bought, you know. And so, yeah, he really loved Patton and had a lot of respect for my biological father as a result of that. Now, Rick, he served as Elvis's valet. And, uh, and uh, what, what were your duties for well, Elvis? My duty, I started out as like a personal aide, basically. Uh, How old were you? Gosh, I was 16, dropped out of school to go to work for Elvis. And I uh, started out as just a personal aide, kind of green, learning the ropes. Um, basically, my responsibilities would be get him up in the morning, uh, order his food, uh, tell him it's time to go. Uh, you know, just basically... Yeah, you know, Elvis didn't pick up a telephone. You know, I called people. I was I was more of a liaison between Elvis and personal business associates, mm -hmm. and, and, and you know, non-person or non-personal uh, business associates as well. And then I became I became uh, involved in karate and guns and Red and Sonny and the Hebler and all of them. Or Dick Grobe were so much so like training. He he said to Red, he said it's your responsibility to train that because again, big guy, scrappy, tough guy. And I moved into bodyguard, I guess when I was 17, 18, carrying a 9mm, second degree black belt. Just, you know, and it was, I think about it now, it was like watching a movie. But, um, you know, it was, a, it was a tremendous amount of responsibility at a, at a very young age. But that made me feel good because Elvis had a, he had a lot of faith in me. Like I said, he just didn't, Elvis didn't give you token positions or, or things like that. He, he used your strengths and helps you recognize your weaknesses and put you in the position. Rick was good with people, valet type, personal aid liaison. I was that for a while, but yet I was more of the, the tough guy, yet I didn't lose my temper and knock your brains out. I was more of a communicator, but I was capable of doing whatever it took to protect Elvis Presley. I'm sure there's times that really got very hairy with some of the fans, not meaning to hurt him, and, and uh, I'm sure sometimes there might have been some threats. Uh, do you remember anything like that? We were in uh, Nassau, New York. Um, and Nassau County Coliseum and we came out of a hotel and a guy pulled a knife on Elvis we were going out of the back of the hotel and a guy came up and he pulled a switchblade well before he could come in on Elvis I was on him uh, by going between him and Elvis pushing the knife up against the wall and I pulled my gun and jammed it halfway down his throat and said this is not a real smart thing to do um, <clears throat> the policeman put Elvis in the car and rushed him off and I, I made sure that, that that Elvis was gone. You know, he was. They, they put him in the car. It was like the president when Reagan was shot. It was like they just shoved him in that car. Man, it was unbelievable. Right. Now, quick. I mean, I was just instantly the security security around Elvis was very trained, very tight. And so I was there. The police came to me. He took David. They had to get me off this guy because I was. I think it just kind of freaked me out. Anyway, we took the guy, or they took the guy in custody, and I got in a in a, in a uh, police car, and they took me over to the Coliseum and. Elvis is on stage, and um, I'm over on the side of the stage, and Elvis comes over, and fans are running and screaming. He reaches down, he says, David, what happened? I said, Elvis, you know, it, we, wait, excuse me, we're, you got it right in the middle of a concert? <laughs> you know, you got a minute, I'll tell you. <laughs> so anyway, I get it back, the show's over, I get in the car with Elvis, and we're driving back. He said, what happened? And I, I just, well, it was just a little incident. Well, Dick Grobe told him, hey, David just took care of business. And Elvis was so proud. I mean, he was just, it, it was incredible. He just said, David, I've never been so proud of you. I said, Elvis, this is my job. This is what I do. And uh, 
He said, oh, I want to give you a raise. And I said, Elvis, without a dime, I'd have done the same thing. I might have done it for anybody for that matter. But uh, that was really impressed him. You know, he, he knew that he had made the right choice when he asked me to be a bodyguard. I know that made me feel really good. That oh, you God. Yeah, it was a pat on the back, you know. It was, you know, and as a kid, always looking for approval, always walking in the shadows of the king of rock and roll, it was nice to be accommodated for just by a simple compliment. And Elvis always made sure he did that to build your self-esteem. You know, he was, if you were great, he, he, uh, he commended you. If you were weak, he helped you get stronger. Something comes to mind, we're talking about Elvis on tour. In Cincinnati, I believe in 1977, the next to the last the date on the last tour, uh, was it that Elvis got aggravated because there was no air conditioning? Yeah, he I, left? Was, uh, I was in my room, I, and I had taken Elvis down. You know, we got to the hotel, and Elvis checked in, and, and I knew he was going to have a problem because the air was. Elvis liked it freezing cold. So in his room, it's hot, and he's, it's a hot summer day in Cincy. And all of a sudden, I just hear some commotion open the door, and Elvis is coming out of his door, and there's no security. Where are you going? I'm leaving. I said, we're, right, we're leaving. Where are we going? I'm leaving this hotel. Well, we get on the elevator. I mean, walk right through the elevator. Now, other, some of the other security guards were downstairs. I think uh, Parker was there. I believe Grobe was also downstairs. And so we're, we walk right out of the hotel. And me, I'm right next to Elvis. In fact, somebody's got some photographs of this. Uh, yeah, I wish I could get some of those. Anyway, we, I appreciate that. We go walking out. And we walk up, and Elvis is standing at the counter, and he looks at the guy and says, I need a room. Because we just walked across the street, cars are stopping, people are freaking out. We walk out, and we walk in the hotel, and he says, I need a room. And the guy, he couldn't talk. <laughs> and I said, you know, I grabbed Elvis and said, you know, behind the counter, I said, you got an office? I said, just get this man an office, because, you know, there's a couple of thousand people, or hundreds anyway, starting to come in. And we put Elvis in the room, and uh, uh, Grobe and I, actually Dick Grobe got the room, and we just put, took Elvis up there, and... Everybody moved from one hotel right across the street to another. But, you know, he just walked right out of there. I said, Elvis, there's people there. He said, I don't care. He said, well, these people, they're not going to hurt me. So that's the story. Well, if Elvis wanted to go somewhere, he wanted to go yeah, then. He didn't want to wait. That's right. He was going. I mean, if Elvis, whatever he wanted to do, he did. And obviously that day he had made up his mind that it's too hot in this room. It was funny. It was hysterical, actually. Oh, yeah, it was great. I loved it. Was there some uh, something else maybe comical you can think about what happened on tour? There's got to be millions of them. If you can oh, just pull God. one out in the, in the I'll air. give you one more. Let me see if I can think of one. Okay. You might have heard the story about J.D. and the blanks and the guns and all that stuff. I don't know if you've heard this story. Uh, tell, tell me your, your uh, story. Yeah, well, this is, it was, uh, we were downstairs in, in Las Vegas in Elvis' backstage area, and Elvis wanted to pull a prank on J.D. and the Stamps. So the scheme was for Red and Sonny and all the guys to put blanks and their guns. We all carried guns. And uh, and to, to pull off a stunt that made it look like that Elvis was being killed. Mm -hmm. So the idea was, after the show, Elvis says, David, go get JD. So I go to get JD, and JD and the Stamps come over, and Elvis is, you know, Elvis was a good actor. He said, they want to kill me, they want to kill me. He's got this note, I want Elvis dead tonight. You know, we had made this note up. And he said, guys, I'm scared, I'm really scared, which they should have known better because Elvis wasn't afraid of nothing. You know, I mean, just, yeah. there was no fear. So he, but he was, oh, God, they're going to kill me, J.D. So anyway, he says, I need you guys to walk me upstairs. I need some extra security because we have to go through the corridors of the, of the Vegas Hilton on the elevator, up the elevator to the suite. Well, meanwhile, he had sent Red and Sonny upstairs. And they put on ski masks, blanks in their guns. We had blanks in our guns so we could do a shootout. Mm -hmm. 
when we walk through the door and Elvis says, God, guys, thank you so much. And Sonny comes around the corner, Presley die or something to that effect. Boo, 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 you know. Now these guys have no idea. Yeah. You know, and the meanwhile we're flying yeah. over tables, over bar. I mean, we're acting like we're being nailed, being killed. Mm -hmm. Well, JD just grabs Elvis and throws him to the ground, laying on top of dying. You know, Elvis is you know laughing. JD thinks he's crying. Ed Enoch goes up and crawls on the floor like this round table and sticks his head down between his legs and starts praying the Lord's Prayer. <laughs> right? Donnie Sumner was behind, jumped over the bar and Red, Sonny came from behind the bar and he tried to hit his hand and he pulled that gun right in his face. Well, that's when the joke was over because we thought Donnie was going to have just a heart attack right then and there. <laughs> and uh, Sonny pulls his mask off and Donnie's just, my God, and Elvis is still laughing. And J.D. thinks he's crying, it's okay, son, it's okay, son. And he looks down and sees him laughing, and you know how J.D.'s, oh, you son of a bitch, you know? So that was probably the most insane thing I've ever seen Elvis do, as a practical joke. And so that was cool. God, a mighty son, I just said, Elvis, you cruel, man, you're just cruel. J.D., you son of a bitch. But, I mean, you know, Elvis never, Elvis never did a practical joke unless he liked you, you know? So that's that's the best story that I can come up with. Well, that's great. I'm sure everybody's gonna like to hear it. Our JD has told that story and Ed has told it, but uh, there's some of these uh, things, anecdotes or whatever you want to call it, yeah. that you said that um, we're gonna put together. So I'm, I well, appreciate you good. saying that. Good. Know. Well, you know, it was, it's a wonderful story. Oh yeah. You know, yeah, that's it, great. it just shows Elvis's tremendous sense of humor. You couldn't be around Elvis if you couldn't laugh. Elvis could not stand a long face. I mean, if you were sitting in a room and Elvis came in, he would just not. If you were long-faced, what's wrong with you? It could be worse. You could be sleeping under a bridge in Memphis. Right. Elvis never forgot where he came from, made his people comfortable around him, and wanted them to be happy and couldn't handle when you couldn't laugh or if you had a long face or pouting or complaining. So there, thus the, the funny man, the, the sense of humor. Mm -hmm. uh, you have a new video out, uh, David. Uh, would you like to tell us about that or if you have yeah, any other projects? Yeah, I think... Uh, yeah, I got a video I did with uh, Nighthawk Productions out in Los Angeles called, uh, what is it called? <laughs> Legacy of a Legend. It's Elvis Week. And it's, it's, it's good. I'm real proud of it. But I'm, I've also got another property, and I don't, I don't want to sound like I'm doing a sales pitch here, but I'm doing a sales pitch here. Okay. Um, it's a book called The Elvis Presley Encyclopedia. It's done by General Publishing Group out of Los Angeles. And it's, uh, it's my new property. It's coming out Monday, uh, actually tomorrow as we speak. I'm doing a, a huge press conference. And I leave tomorrow, and I do Larry King Live tomorrow night, and CBS This Morning, all the talk shows. And the publishers have done a wonderful job of chronology, of chronologizing Elvis's life. Now, A to Z's been done, The Ultimate Elvis, which is a new book that just came out. This is along the lines of that, but from a personal perspective of somebody who was there, mm -hmm. somebody who spent time with Elvis. And uh, there were some inaccuracies in some of the books, and I just had the opportunity to set a record straight and did it and so I'm real proud of beautiful color pictures beautiful cover I think it's going to do real well but uh, look for it okay. look for it I'll do that and I uh, wish you the very best with that okay thank you and I've enjoyed uh, talking with you you always uh, you know you always see people interviewing people and you say to yourself man I don't do I want to talk do I want to talk do I want to talk and it's refreshing to talk to somebody that's so easy to talk to so you you've been the good interview I appreciate it okay, well thank you very much David thank you okay Hi, I'm J.D. Sumner, and you're riding on the mystery train with our good buddy, Don Wilson.
I hope you enjoyed that interview with David Stanley, Elvis's stepbrother. And he was talking about this practical joke that Elvis pulled on uh, the guys, and <laughs> including J.D. Sumner. Well, here, J.D. Sumner tells me about that same incident. Uh, well, J.D., while we're talking about, you know, uh, him being in Vegas and uh, on the road and so forth, uh, uh, I understand there was a lot of practical jokes on the road. Would you like to remember any of those? Like, oh, uh, Yeah, one time, one time there in, at the Hilton in Vegas, uh, they pulled a, a joke on me in the quartet. They uh, sent me word that somebody had called and uh, said they were going to shoot Elvis on the first, first show going to kill him and wanted me to watch the audience and if I seen any strange movement to let Red was right, Red West was right behind me behind the curtain so if you see any strange thing at all you let Red know and uh, of course I was looking at the audience and Elvis kept chewing me out from the stage say look at me what are you, what are you doing, trying to find a girl out there or something? They said, look at me. Of course, nothing happened on the first show, but then they came and said, uh, for me to get the staff quartet and come up to the Imperial Suite between shows because they had got a, another call from this guy and he said that he would get him on the second show. So we went upstairs and uh, we were standing up there and they had about 20 security guards from the hotel and of course all of uh, Elvis's bodyguards and all of a sudden somebody broke in the front door and uh, they said there goes the SOB and they started shooting and uh, Red West acted like he was shot fell in the floor and started jerking and we all hit the deck and Elvis hit the floor and I, I don't know why I wouldn't lay on top of Elvis to try to cover him so nobody couldn't shoot him and I don't think even though I love Elvis, I don't think that I would want to die in my right mind, you know, uh, maybe for my wife or my grandson or something like that, but uh, I covered him. And they kept shooting in the suite there, and uh, you'd hear gunshots all over the suite. There he goes. And uh, I felt Elvis laughing. And uh, so I, I got up, and I said, okay, boys, the joke's over. And about that time, Sonny put his arm, hand around the wall and shot a blank and uh, it stung my face. So back down I went, laying on top of Elvis again. Then he just started dying laughing and the, and the joke was over. But he made me sick about three days. Yeah, he was a very practical joker, very much. Hi, this is Cliff Leeds. Yeah, you're rocking and rolling with the incredible Donnell. Twenty years ago, or nearabouts, I can't believe it's been that long ago, when I was doing interviews for documentaries and such, I, um, I had an answering machine, and uh, I kept some of the uh, messages that would come up um, so I could remember, you know, even back then, you know, I had CRS, but, uh, anyway, um, 
I've had some comments from uh, previous shows when I, I played some. So these are like innocent, and I've, I've, I've cut them down and took out the, um, I guess you could say, the meat of the conversation. But uh, it's got some historical significance of who I was talking to. So I'm going to play a couple of those now. And uh, one of them is uh, Joe Esposito. Elvis's road manager and friend and uh, he and I worked on the definitive Elvis well this is just when I was confirming an interview um, with Steve Bender and letting Joe know about it hey Don hey Joe you got a minute yeah yeah uh, uh, Steve's gonna be in town that day oh yes so he says tentatively uh, he wants to schedule it at the studio okay. at 2 p.m. Perfect. Okay. Okay. All right. Have a good weekend. Good. I'll see you uh, Monday if I don't hear from you then. Okay, Joe. Okay. Take care. Hi, this is Joe Esposito. I am riding on the mystery train with Don Wilson. A fellow that worked for Elvis that wore many hats was Lamar Fike. And uh, he did a promo for me and... Uh, uh, it's it's 100% Lamar. Here it is. I'm Lamar Fike, and you're not. But I'll tell you what you are doing. You're riding on the Mystery Train. God knows what's around the next bend. Don Wilson's Mystery Train. As I'm doing this program, I'm looking out my window, and it's a winter wonderland out there. And uh, seeing the snow reminds me of that classic song, Baby It's Cold Outside. My favorite version is by Dean Martin, who had a big hit on it. I think it's ridiculous, um, the people that are freaking out about the lyrics, and they're trying to put it in with what they deem that the song means. The song's been around for like 60 years. I'm surprised that they haven't started picking on Frank Sinatra's The Lady is a Tramp. Music is expression, and that's what songwriters do. And all this mamby-pamby kind of stuff, this is my personal opinion, you know, about, you know, songs, and, you know, we have to change the lyrics, and John Legend, you know, forget it, you know. I mean, he's a great performer in his own right, but I'd, I'd much rather hear Dean Martin sing Baby It's Cold Outside than his new recording of it. You don't mess with a songwriter's lyrics just to fit what you think it should say. Done deal. By the way, I am a songwriter, and I signed with BMI years ago. I sure wouldn't want anybody to mess around with any of the lyrics that I wrote, especially after I'm gone. But speaking of Dino, I met him, Frank Sinatra, Sammy Davis Jr., and Joey Bishop years ago when I was a kid. My grandfather had found out uh, that they were coming off the freight elevator at a hotel, and um, he told me, okay, you can see them from, from here, but don't approach them. What did I do? I made a beeline and ran right smack dab right up to him. Sammy acknowledged me at first, but the guy that came down to my level since I was a kid was Frank Sinatra, and uh, 
he looked up at Dean Martin and he said, you see, Dean, I still have some young fans. <laughs> and Dean said, he looked like a Beatle fan to me, Frank. That's because my hair was a little long. But I love those guys uh, to this day. And Joey Bishop was there. He didn't say anything, which looking back kind of amazed me uh, because he's always coming up with a quip, or he did, bless his heart. And um, But Joey and I became good friends, and this next recording is just a little innocent clip uh, from my uh, answering machine uh, when I uh, asked uh, Joey if I could come down and visit with him at the time he was living in uh, Newport Beach, and um, I was coming down with my friend uh, Dan Tester, and um, here's the recording. Hello? Hello, Joey. Yeah. Hi, it's Don Wilson in Hollywood. Yeah, Don. How you doing, pal? Yeah. Just want to make sure it's still cool for us to come by tomorrow. I just give a call before you come, that's all I can tell you. Okay. And I got a couple tapes for you and everything. Good, thanks. Oh, fantastic. All right. Well, just touching base with you, Joey. Okay, just give a call before you come, that's all I ask. Okay, Joey. I thanks for later. Okay, catch you later. I first met Nancy Sinatra in 1998 or 1999, uh, I think it was, and she was signing at Tire Records on Sunset Boulevard in West Hollywood. Well, I wanted to bring something to her, and um, I didn't have time to really tell her how I'd met Elvis and how he touched my life after I lost my family. My family was killed in a, a train accident when I was 10. And um, Pat Brusky and Peter Harry Brown wrote about it in their book, Down at the End of Lonely Street, The Life and Death of Elvis Presley. Well, I gave her the uh, copy of the, you know, the mention, and um, I said, you can, you know, read this later, Miss Sinatra. And she said, no, I'm going to read it now. And then she read it, it was a couple of paragraphs, and then she started crying, and she said, that's just like him. Nancy invited me down to uh, the Whiskey A Go-Go that Friday night, and I went, and um, I was cheered no end because she did a song that she had never done on stage before. She had sung it in the um, movie Speedway that she starred with Elvis in 1968, but she'd never performed it live, and... Uh, Oh, that was a thrill. I remember after the concert, you know, she got up in the cage and started dancing, you know, like the Go-Go Girls did in the, at the Whiskey A Go-Go in the 60s. And the band was playing on. Great memories. Um, I later saw her perform at Amoeba Records, a large uh, record shop on Sunset Boulevard where I used to go all the time. And uh, she came out and she sang, How Does That Grab You, Darling, first song. And she was looking directly at me for the first uh, uh, verse you know, or two. And I asked her about that later, and she just, just zeroed in. You know, I, I think she uh, would zero in on someone that uh, in the audience. And uh, But anyway, uh, Nancy Sinatra is a wonderful person, and um, uh, she shared some great memories with me of Elvis and of course her legendary father, Frank Sinatra.
Hello, everyone. This is Sissy Young. I would like to invite you to my Elvis Presley fan club group. So, if you're interested, please go to Facebook and type in Elvis. Find out what's happening then and now, and then just click on Join. We would love to have you. And remember, you heard this on Don Wilson's Hollywood Beat. Have a great day. Hi, this is Jennifer Flowers. Guess what I'm doing? I'm listening to Don Wilson's Hollywood Beat. Oh, I love it. Hey, listen in. Thank you for listening. I hope you will join me next time on Don Wilson's Hollywood Beat. Remember, I can be heard on Anchor, Spotify, Apple iTunes, Breaker, Google, Overcast, Pocket Casts, and Radio Public. Please check out my website at www.donwilsonshollywoodbeat.com and join me here next time. Remember, keep rocking and don't tip over.